you would, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. As you're turning there, I wonder how you might respond uh, to a quote by one of the most prominent theologians of the 20th century. Here's what he said. Nothing is more central or basic to the Christian life than union and communion with Christ. Nothing is more basic or central to the Christian life than union and communion with Christ. That is what this text talks about tonight. And so what that theologian is saying is that nothing could be more central for you in all of life than this text right here, right now. And that's what God wants you to hear. Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father of all glory, it is true we have no right of our own to call you Father. But rather, in your condescending grace to us, you have enabled us through your Son to be sons of God. We thank you that all of the benefits and gifts and blessings of our salvation is found in Him. And that's what you are here to teach us tonight. So we are asking, as you are the Father and you delight to give gifts to your children, we ask that you would give us ears to hear the preaching of your word. Would you give us confidence that this is your word that's being preached? Would you give us hearts to embrace your ways? Give us mouths that confess that Jesus is indeed Lord. And would you give us feet to go forth and tell others of this wonderful truth? We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder how many problems in life might be solved if we always remembered the fundamentals of a certain area. 
So one article says it was July of 1961 and 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team, they were gathered together on their first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers lost late in the fourth quarter to the NFL champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for their entire offseason, and now finally at training camp, they're ready to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would win them a championship. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. Here's what is quoted in this biography of Vince Lombardi. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch every year, assuming that the players were just blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the previous year. And he began with this most elemental, fundamental statement. He would hold out a football with his right hand, and he would say, Gentlemen, this is a football. Now, you would think... For the coach who the Super Bowl trophy is named after, that he would surely not be so simple like that, right? But see, he was starting his team off with the fundamentals. Lombardi knew that you never leave the fundamentals of football. Rather, you build on them and always come back to them. That's actually why in my office, if you've been in there, I have this framed picture of a, it's a diagram of a football to remind me of this particular story. But why? Because in ministry, it is so often tempting to just forget the fundamentals, to move beyond the fundamentals and just to try to go on to other stuff when really everything builds on the fundamentals. In a lot of ways, we could say this about Christianity. Is that as Vince Lombardi held out a football and said, this is a football, we could very easily hold out this text of Romans 6, 1 through 11 and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is Christianity. Union with Christ is fundamental to understanding the Christian life. Do you understand it? Do you have any sort of a concept for what it is and how you live in light of it? Because this is what this text is going to teach us tonight. In order to, to understand what we're talking about, I want to do a quick review of what had happened before. It's always important whenever, whenever you come to a particular scripture text, it's good to know what came before it and what comes after it. That helps you know what that particular text is saying. So, thinking about what we talked about last week in Romans 5, 12 through 21, we talked about how God has only made two covenants. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. Remember, I used the, where's Evan Price? There he is. I used the illustration with me and Evan. Evan was the landlord. I was the, the tenant. He was the one who, he gave me the obligations and saying, if I fulfilled those obligations and he would fulfill certain promises, that was an agreement. It was a covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties with obligations and promises. There's only been two covenants in history. And here's the thing. You can only be in one covenant at a time. And here's the thing. Everyone in here is in covenant with God. 
In a very real way, everyone in here has a relationship with God. The question is, which relationship? Are you in the covenant of works or the covenant of grace? The covenant of works is what God made with Adam in the very beginning. And he told Adam, he said, look, if you want these promises, then you must be perfect. Now, Adam did a really good job, didn't he? Just right from the get-go, he was just a swell guy. No, he failed probably within the first couple hours of his life. But God still said, if you want my promises, then there must be someone who will earn them. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus is another Adam who obeyed God perfectly. He obeyed the covenant of works so that we might have a covenant of grace. Does that make sense? You see, if you trust Jesus for your salvation, you used to be in the covenant of works. But now, because of Jesus, you're in the covenant of grace. Here's why that matters. Because when you used to be in the covenant of works, you would relate to God based on how well you were doing. Good luck. But now, because of Jesus, in the covenant of grace, now you relate to God based on how Jesus has done. You see that? It's very important to understand those, those covenants. You see, when we relate to God in this way, we'll actually understand why life is often the way it is because these covenants, they, they grip us. They govern us. I had mentioned last week how these covenants are often, they are our stories. The story you live in is the story you live out. And what Paul's been saying at the end of verse, uh, end of chapter 25, uh, excuse me, end of chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, look, if you're a believer... Even though sin used to reign in death in your life, now grace reigns in your life. What Paul's going to do is he's building off of that idea. And that's actually really important because when you see the chapters in your Bible, that's, that was not there in the original writing. It was one full letter. Each idea flowed to the next idea. They're intimately connected. So here's what Paul's doing in chapter 6. Paul's saying, look, okay, if you went from being in the covenant of works to now being in the covenant of grace, that means now you are in union with Jesus. That's what that means. So Paul's going to be describing, how does that change your life? How does that change the way you think about yourself? How does that change the way you live? That's what Paul's going to talk about. So look at verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, in light of all this grace that's in Jesus Christ, what, what shall we say then? Do we just continue in sin that grace may abound? It's almost a question of how should we live now that there's an abundance of grace for all of our sin? We might be tempted to think that we can just live however I want because if there's grace, then God will forgive me. So I don't really need to pursue righteousness or holiness. I can just keep doing all those things. But actually, Paul's going to say uh, that that's actually going to be impossible for you. And I'll show you how in a second. Paul is saying you can't continue in sin. You can't remain fixated 
in your sin. Actually, what's really amazing is that this word for continue, it means an epic remaining. It means you're staunchly fixed in an unrepentant lifestyle. It's actually the picture of an enduring battle that really you're still fighting against God. So here's what, here's what Paul's saying. You, you can say you're a Christian. You can profess that you're a Christian with your mouth. But if you're staunchly living an unrepentant life, then it's not true of you. Now, that's hard, but we've got to hear that. Because Paul, what he's going to show us is that if you're really a believer, you're in the covenant of works. And that means you're united to Jesus. So things begin slowly but surely. Things begin to change. That's what he's building up to. But notice what Paul doesn't do. When he asks the question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He doesn't say, no, instead of just living a lawless life, you just need to buckle down on the law and just obey. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just obey. Notice that he does not do that. But yet how often of us, whenever we see our own sin, we just look at ourselves and say, it's time to do better. And you know what? If someone's going to get their life together, it's going to be me and I'm going to do it right now. But that's not the Christian strategy. Paul says this, you need to understand who you are. You need to understand not just who you are. You need to understand whose you are. I remember meeting a quarterback at Tulane in 2014. Excuse me, the spring of uh, spring of 2013, and this guy's name was Nick, and he was about a six foot two blonde guy. And, uh, Bill looked like he had some talent. We were excited about him coming into Tulane. And, uh, and then a little while later, I learned what this guy's last name was. His last name was Montana. Because Nick Montana was the son of Joe Montana. You see, that totally changed the way I thought about Nick. Because it wasn't just who he was. Who he was, he was clearly a talented quarterback. He deserved to be there. That was great. But it also changed my opinion of him when I found out whose he was. And that's really important when you think about Christianity. The gospel doesn't just tell you who you are. It tells you who you belong to. And that changes the game. How should we think whenever we are living in this covenant of grace? How should we think whenever we are trying to follow Jesus. That's actually what Paul is talking about. He's actually using a lot of cognitive words here. He's using words like know. He's using words like believe. Words like consider. You see, the mind and the thought process is pivotal in the Christian life. So the idea of saying, well, we just, theology doesn't matter. We just need to love God and love people. But here's the question. You can't love God unless you know who God is. And you can't love God unless you know what God means by love in the same way with people. The role of the mind in the Christian life is crucial. But that does not mean that you become intellectual snobs. Because all true theology always applies to life. Once again, you can know a lot of Facts about Christianity, but still be in the covenant of works 
and be unrepentant. By the way, Satan knows more theology than all of us in here combined. But the question is, the truth that you know, does it change your life? Paul is telling us that our minds matter. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, he's saying you have been. If, if that's the case, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. He says your life is hidden with him. Do you know what happens when you become a Christian? You learn to desire to think more of God and his ways. Slowly but surely. But over the lifetime that you have until you go to glory, you learn to desire to think about who you are in Christ in his ways. So Paul is saying that the life, the thought life is so crucial. I remember when for me, whenever if you were to time travel back to my Tulane, I'm sorry, I'm using a lot of football illustrations, but if you were to time travel back to my Tulane football locker, you would actually, when you walked there and you saw my locker, you would see about anywhere from six to ten cutout pictures that were taped on my locker. What were those pictures? It was pictures of football players who I looked up to. Now, why did I do that? Because in sports, it was, it was very common knowledge that to help you get better, it is good to model your game after someone. It's kind of like this. If you're going to be in the weight room and you're trying to learn how to do a certain lift, it is helpful to see how someone else is doing it, right? How you picture yourself is crucial to the Christian life. And your model of the Christian life, which is Christ, it is crucial that that keeps coming to mind so that you understand who you are. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Paul says... In verse 2, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, do you not know? When he uses this word to know, it does not merely mean to know about. Just to know the Wikipedia facts about this. It means to know something experientially. Sometimes as Christians, this has often happened. Often I've been counseling someone and I am talking with someone and I've also often done this whenever I've been counseled and the person will often say, well, yes, 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 I, I know. I, I know that I'm a believer. I know that I'm forgiven, but. And this is true. You might really have that intellectual knowledge and there might really be it. You, you, you really are a believer. I'm not saying that you're not, but there's often this head heart gap. Some people have called it, it's the farthest 18 inches in all of life between your, between your head and your heart. Because it's so difficult to know deeply down into your heart that you really are embraced by the Father. Paul is saying, do you not know this truth? I'm not asking you, uh, oh Roman Christians, I'm not asking you if you just know about. I'm asking, do you know it? Because it's true of you. He also says this. He talks about how we believe 
this. That word to believe is the same word to have faith. In other words, I'm banking on this. I'm trusting this. He'll also use the word in verse 11. So you must also consider. That word for consider means you must logic with yourself. You, 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 must, you must speak to yourself. You must count this to be true of you. That's why this is what was actually so fascinating. Y'all remember a couple of weeks when we had that high, group of high school students come visit us. And uh, I was preaching on Romans 3. One of the students came up to me afterward. And he was thrilled by what he had read in the text. And he asked this question. He said, how can I just have that feeling throughout the week? Well, here's the thing. Feelings come and go. But the word of God stands forever. Amen. If you are a believer, the word determines your reality, not your feelings. And that is so important because Satan will often harass us. And we need to come back to the word saying, no, what is true is that I am in Christ. Come on now. Ooh, get excited. Ralph Ellison, who was the author of the classic Invisible Man, he was once asked this. Would you say that the search for identity is primarily an American theme? He responded, he said, it is the American theme. And I think it's very true. We often hear about people who are, they will leave for a certain time because they need to go find themselves. But what Paul is telling you right here in this text is this. If you want to know who you are, you need to know Jesus. And matter of fact, if you're a believer, if you only think about what's my personality, how can I know my gifts? If you're only studying yourself, you're only telling yourself half the story. You can only truly, fully know yourself if you know Jesus because you're in union with him. Did you see that? Let's get into the text. Paul is saying this in light of all this. He is saying, live by your baptism. Think about your baptism. How in the world did I just get from union to Christ to baptism? Let me show you. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is saying the fundamentals of the Christian life is to live in light of your baptism, is to remember your baptism. Instead of saying, can, can we not just live in sin? Paul's saying, no, that's impossible because you, dear believer, you've come in union with Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's so fascinating about baptism. Baptism is a covenant sign and seal. When Paul is bringing up the word baptism, it's so obvious. It's so clear that he's thinking about what he just talked about. Because baptism is a covenant sign and seal of the covenant of grace. You see, baptism points 
to the reality of what you have through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is all about. Baptism is not your first act of obedience. It's not. It is pointing away actually from ourselves to Christ. It's actually showing us what he's done. That's why baptism happens to you rather than you baptizing yourself. You see that, right? Paul is saying this is Christianity. Now, here's one thing we need to see here. When Paul is talking about baptism, he's not talking about the mode of baptism where either you are to be sprinkled or you are to be dunked. He's not talking about that here because he does not even mention water. Which also, by the way, he uses this same word for baptism. He will say in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he will say that people, the Israelites, when they crossed through the Red Sea, they were baptized into Moses. In 1 Corinthians 1, 13, Paul will say, talking about how he's saying, look, you were not baptized into me. So here's what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about should we dunk people or should we sprinkle water on their head? He's not talking about the mode of baptism. He's talking about the message of baptism. Paul is saying this. What is baptism? Baptism is participating in all the privileges of the person whom you are baptized into. I'll say that again. Baptism is about you participating in all the blessings, in all the privileges, in all the gifts of the person into whom you're baptized. That's why we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, what does that mean? Because Paul's making a big deal about this. Well, for one, it means this. That's why baptism is really important. That's also why this. Baptism is not just something you did last week or several years ago. And then you just leave it there and you never remember it. Matter of fact, the Christian church has always, when it's at its best, has always said, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Because that is showing you what you are participating in. Here's what baptism is showing you. Remember, you used to be in the covenant of works. But now, because of trusting Jesus, you're in the covenant of grace. Your baptism, whether it happened before your conversion or after, it's pointing to the reality that you, through faith, participate in Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? This is actually why baptism is a necessity. Now, baptism does not save you. Don't hear me say that. It is not Jesus plus baptism. The Bible never says that. But baptism is a necessity because as one person says, it is a sign and seal of membership into the body of Christ. That's why baptism is really important. So if I can say this, if you are a professing believer and if you've not been baptized, come see me. I'll put some water on your head. We'll make it happen. Now, we're going to make it happen in the service of the church. You don't just go back to a river and say, here we go, we're done. But rather, baptism is showing that you are a participant in the life of Christ in his body. 
And as you participate in him, you receive all those benefits. Is that not amazing? Now, why does that matter? Paul says we were baptized in verse 3 into his death. In verse 4, he will say that we were uh, baptized into his death in order that Christ was raised from the dead. By implication, we're also baptized into his life. When Paul is talking about baptizing into, that word into, is, it's a word for entering a place. So at one point, you guys were at your cars and then you walked through those doors. And then at one point, you walked into the sanctuary. And since you've walked into the sanctuary, you are participating in the sanctuary. Does that make sense? When Paul's saying that we have been baptized into Christ, he is talking about how we are participating in Christ. We have entered into the realm of Christ. We are in union with him. Here's what makes this amazing. If you've been baptized into Christ, which is what your baptism is pointing to, that means wherever Jesus goes, you go. And wherever you go, Jesus goes. That, by the way, is what Jesus means when he says, where two or three people are gathered in my name, there I am also because of union with Christ. In other words, because of this, if we are in union with Jesus Christ, because Jesus entered into the realm of death when he died, so did we. That's what Paul means saying in verse 1, or excuse me, in verse 2, we died to sin. Here's what's actually crazy about Christianity. You want to hear something? When you became a believer, the moment that the Holy Spirit gave you faith to believe, it's as if you were just transported through time 2,000 years ago to be united to Jesus. Bam! And you're so united to Jesus Christ that it's as if you already took the wrath of God so there's no more upon you. Amen? But it's also this. It's also as if you lived a perfectly obedient life. It is as if you fulfilled the covenant of works. That's what it means. It's as if you earned all of God's promises, all of his benefits. That's how united to Jesus Christ you are, which is crazy because we're sinful, right? Paul is saying we're in such union with Christ that as he went to death, so did we. As he rose from the dead, so did we. What's crazy is that somewhere Jesus is through the veil in the other dimension before he comes back to this earth to just bring everything to an end. Somewhere in the fold of space, Jesus is walking around in his risen, glorified body. And where he is, if you are a believer, you are right there also. In a lot of ways, we can say this. You already have one foot in heaven. Isn't this amazing? Don't you see how Paul would say, this is... This is the foundation of being a Christian? He's saying, look, locationally, you are found in Jesus Christ. You are in union with Him. You see that in verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 
That word, word for union is a word that is characterized by living, growing, and vital unity. It means to be identified with. In other words, this. This is why we often say in RUF, when you become a Christian, your most important identity, it's not your ethnicity, it's not your gender, it's not where you're from, it's not what language you speak. It is that you are in Christ. That's your fundamental identity. And everything else must relate to that. This word for union is the root word used for plants that grow. Plants where there is roots that are in union with the branches. And so when you go outside, you can see on these bushes out here in the daytime, flowers have begun to bloom. How are they blooming? Because they're in union with the root. Do you think this is what Jesus is thinking about in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches? Union with Christ. You're identified with him. You are vitally in union with him. You're connected to him. Yes, you are you, but you are united to him. Verse 10. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself or yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying you're now in the position where you're no longer at war with God. You and God are good because God is good with Christ. The Father and the Son live in eternal joy and love. Never once has that love either increased or decreased because infinite love can't change. Do you realize what you get in Jesus Christ? Jesus actually prays this in John 17, where he says, Father, I pray that the love that you have given me, infinite, eternal love, the love that you have given me, that you would give to them. You have infinite and eternal love by the holy, holy God, because you have Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing compares to that. Because of union with Christ, everything that is His becomes yours. And everything that's yours becomes His. That's why He went to the cross. Here's actually what's so crazy. Because you're in such union with Jesus Christ, His obedience, it's so yours. But your sin is so His. That now if you want to try to go back into your past and dig up old sin that you've already confessed to God, if you want to try to bring that back to constantly live in shame, you're actually going out of the realm which you belong to. Jesus, you'll have to go through him to get that sin back because Jesus Christ has said, I've put it to death. Amen? Don't let the devil trick you. Don't let your sinful flesh trick you. Your sin was on Jesus on that cross. His righteousness is upon you. You see, I think we often need to be reminded that we can't go on a sin hunt with ourselves. 
Now, we do believe in grace, and grace always takes sin into effect. It always, it always knows that there's sin. There's no such thing as grace unless there is sin. But you don't linger. Don't linger in your sin. Don't linger in that shame as if that's your only story. You're not telling yourself the full story because in Jesus, as it says in chapter 5, verse 20, His grace is greater than your sin. I mean, I'm like, can, you, can I get a come on now? I mean, is that not amazing? Do you guys not see who you are in Jesus Christ? You're not your mistakes from freshman year. You're not your sin from last night. You're not your reputation from high school. You are in Jesus Christ. Amen? And you're defined by His grace. That's why Paul is saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is Christianity. Paul says we've been baptized into his death. We're dead to the covenant of works. I told you the story last week where I had a buddy of mine who was counseling me. And I was actually very much struggling with that idea of trying to go back and dig up my old sins And that's when he told me, he says, you're trying to live like you're still under the covenant of works. God doesn't relate to you that way because Jesus fulfilled it for you. You're dead to it because you're united to Jesus Christ. See, that's why he had to die. So what does the Christian life mean for you? Brothers and sisters, if you're in union with Jesus... You don't need to try to earn your salvation or you don't need to try to keep your salvation. You need to repent from trying. Because Jesus earned it for you. And he did such a good job of earning it that he keeps you even when you sin. To grow as a mature Christian is repenting of relating to God based on how well you're doing. And it is learning to relate to God based on how well you're doing. Jesus did. That's the gospel. Death to the covenant of works. Also death to sin. You see in verse 2, we died to sin. Verse 11, consider yourselves because of that fact. Consider yourselves dead to sin. We love to talk about the, what's called the three P's of sin. The penalty, the power, and the practice. The penalty, the power, and the practice. Or what some people say, the penalty, the power, and the presence. You see, because of union with Christ, it's as if you went to the cross and took the wrath of God, and you also rose from the dead. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to defeat the powers of sin, Satan, and death. So now that you are united to Jesus, which by the way, this is what Easter is all about. That Jesus rose from the dead to conquer those powers because death couldn't hold them down. I think we're, are we singing death was arrested after this? Yeah. Think about that when you sing that. Because Jesus, by his death, put death to death. And so now sin no longer has power over you. Now, it's still present in your life. You still struggle. We'll see that in two weeks in Romans 7. You're going to still sin. 
But sin is no longer the dominant power in your life. Brothers and sisters, this is why it's so crucial today to understand this. Do not, dis, uh, do not define yourself by your sin as if that's your primary identity. Describe your life and be honest with people and say, yeah, this is the reality. But sin does not define you because Christ is more powerful than sin. Christ defines you. The power of sin is broken. And now, slowly but surely, I'm I'm learning to repent. I'm learning to walk in holiness. It's not perfect in this life. It's still present. But now Jesus is the most powerful. But there's also this, the penalty of sin. When Jesus went to the cross, he did not just die as an example. He took the penalty. You can actually see in chapter 6, at the very end, In verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, but death taking God's wrath upon you. That's why I often love to say that on the cross, Jesus took your hell so that he could give you his heaven. Because on the cross, Jesus took the penalty for sin. That's why you can believe this. God's wrath will never come upon you. Amen? God's wrath will never come upon you because it came on Jesus. There's no more penalty. Sin no longer has power over you, even when you still wrestle. Is that not amazing? I love sometimes, used to do this in my youth group, take the gladiator quote and just say, are you not entertained? Now, I'm not saying glibly be entertained, but is it, does this not fuel you? Is this not amazing to see what you have in Jesus Christ? He doesn't just take care of your past or your present, but your past, present, and future. You have everything you need through union with Him. Amen? You see, He helps us put to death the body of sin. You see that in verse 6. Now, He's not saying this, that flesh or tangible stuff. He's not saying that that's bad, that that's sinful. We don't believe in the idea today where uh, my body is bad and I can define myself however I want. I just need to escape this body. We, We don't believe that. That's not according to Scripture. God gave all of us bodies. But because of sin, when we were in the covenant of works, when we were not trusting Jesus, sin reigned over the body. That's why as in Ephesians Two, verse three, it says, we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. We just did whatever we craved. But now, because of Jesus Christ, because he rose from the dead, I'm now learning to put that sin to death. It's going to take some time. Which, by the way, you might be fighting a certain sin for years. You might have to fight against a certain sin your whole life. But brothers and sisters, keep fighting because one day it will end because Jesus Christ defeated it. Amen? Keep fighting. Don't just say this is the way things are. No, you've been been united to Jesus. You're dead to sin. The body of sin has been put to death. And now in the same body, you're learning to live. 
Paul saying that actually now the life of Jesus is becoming more and more manifested in my life. Some of you have learned to say certain phrases after hanging around me like, come on now, awesome, or whatever else, pick your poison. Because the more you've hung around me, you've picked up all my accent and you've adopted some of those phrases. Well, that naturally happens when we hang out with people who have a different accent or they have these certain phrases. We, we slowly but surely adopt that lifestyle. Well, if you're united to Jesus Christ, you're always around him and he's always around you. And so more and more, slowly but surely, you begin to live out as it were his accent. Slowly but surely, His resurrection life is seen and revealed in you. You're now alive to God, it says in verse 11. Now there's, there's, there's a newness of life that begins to work itself out in your life. You begin to think about yourself saying this, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm alive to God. I'm I'm learning more and more to walk in his ways. And it's all because of union with Jesus Christ. That's why John Murray, the theologian I mentioned at the very beginning said nothing's more basic nothing is more central to the Christian life than union with Christ Paul is saying you need to always remember your baptism because baptism points to the reality that through faith you participate in Christ some of us need to be reminded of a classic movie the Lion King. And you need to be reminded of the scene when Mufasa appears in the heavens and he says, Simba, you have forgotten who you are and so you have forgotten me. Remember who you are. Dear Christian, when you forget yourself, you forget your God. And if you want to learn how to live in light of God's grace, it's not try harder, be better. It's remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Believe in Jesus Christ. And this will be true of you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful news here. There's nothing more amazing than this truth that we might have Christ Father, we thank you for speaking your word to us. We thank you for enabling us to accept it. And would you help us to hold fast to this, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Write it on our hearts. Help us to respond in singing. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.